the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson, and we're here because it's Thursday. And what do we do on Thursday? We lock it up. Okay, here's the deal. We've got some week zero games to preview. Uh, everyone here will have the option to be able to signify it as a lock, which, of course, will go to our full season competition against each other, a competition of blood to see who uh, is going to be the lock champion. We also are going to open up the floor if you would like to provide some uh, some good opportunities for uh, a value prop, you know, whether that's a, a conference champion, whether it's a you know college football playoff prop, national champion, Heisman Trophy. This is really our last chance to be able to get in uh, all that fun, so we're going to be doing it. Uh, Barton Simmons, Tom Fernelli, how are we doing, gentlemen? Ready to lock some things up here. How are you doing, Chip? You're you're in the one that's in the midst of a move and yet still making time to lock some things up here. Well, you uh, you mentioned that things can be challenging, so I, I kept that in the <laughs> back of my mind. I packed my patience, and and we've made it through the. The, we've we've got a couple of HQ hits in and a couple of podcasts in. Um, for for right now, man, we I, I'm very very thankful that we've been able to keep everything together. So we're we're everything is still in place as much as it can be. Well, I hope it doesn't. Uh, I hope that this doesn't come up later as some sort of an excuse for a missed uh, a missed pick or a missed lock. Um, there are no excuses in in locks. No, <laughs> no excuses. Absolutely no, not. What's your new address? Um, my new address is beep. <laughs> <laughs> you th- you think that after giving out all this proprietary information, good or bad, I'm going to give out that personal information? I was just checking to see if it would work. <laughs> all right, are y'all ready to lock it up? Yep. We're picking locks. My blue plate special five star locks are coming. Come get these locks. Five star master lock. Lock it up. You want these locks? I'm 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 living and dying every every point, every cover. Okay, so again, like I mentioned, this is going to be a little bit more uh, preview style unless we want to signify something uh, as specifically a lock, and we are going to begin uh, with the game in Camping World Stadium in Orlando. It's going to be the Florida Gators. It's going to be the Miami Hurricanes. And, and I want to sort of, there, there's like this creeping rumor time. And I, I'd almost forgotten uh, that this happens every single time of year. So as we're trying to make predictions for not only this week, but the 
the first week of the season, how as as a picker, as as somebody who's always looking at the number and trying to find the values, uh, how how much do y'all put into rumors of suspensions? Because you know any. Any big time program seems like we're always going to have a couple and we're always going to have some rumors. Would you let that sway you or, you know, what, where, where do you let it come into your decision-making process in terms of uh, making your game pick? I'm, I am um, working under the assumption that there will be some suspensions, uh, some unexpected, missed starts uh but i'm not i'm not gonna dig into it into the weeds too much uh i'm I'm gonna so you know there's i don't think there's any quarterbacks you know that i'm expecting to be suspended so beyond that i'm not gonna let it affect me too much i'm not gonna take my eye off the ball yeah i mean for me it's like a situation where one thing I'm considering too, like maybe maybe Florida and Miami have some suspensions that could be coming, but I would be a lot more wary of them if they were playing, you know, like Akron. <laughs> like, you know, like before the game starts, Dan Mullen announces half his starting offensive line is sitting against, but I don't know, against in a game in the season opener against Miami, you, you know, you wonder if the coaches might be a little more lenient that mm. week with punishment. <laughs> so... I, I I put some stock into it, and you have to consider it because it, it's week one. That very that very first game of the year is when things just kind of come out of nowhere because coaches really haven't said anything about it for the you know during camp. Most practices are closed, so you don't really get an idea. And the ones that they do open to the media, the kids that are getting suspended are generally practicing those days because they don't want to tip their hands on anything. So I you're wary of it, and you're aware that it could happen and it could blow something up. So maybe you want to wait as long as possible before you actually make your play. But at the same time, you just, you know, if you just go with the information you have and try to make the best decision from there. So, yeah, the, I was talking to somebody about this and, um, the, there, there, there strikes me as, you know, you could consider the rumors and, um, what have you, but the, there's a very real scenario, I think where Dan Mullen might just, you know, he's got a couple guys penciled in as suspended for the game or for a half or something. But, uh, once game week approaches and kickoff, uh, starts inching nearer, you know, he just sort of rips the suspension up and just says, you know what? I think we're going to need you guys. Let's, let's roll. <laughs> yeah. so, so I'm not going to be held hostage by a, a, a potential suspension. You, you all look very contrite, and you look like you realize <laughs> what you did, and you're very sorry, and you know what? We're going to move forward. Right. I scared you, right? I scared you. Yeah, scared yeah, you guys. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let that be a lesson. Let that um, – uh, <laughs> yes. All right, so our uh, – Point spread here right now is at seven and a half, pretty much across the board. Uh, our over under set at 47, 47 and a half. Um, so uh, I will say Barton first, you know, what's, what's your feel on this game? Well, I'm going to start with my only lock of the week. Okay. Um, and I actually like two plays on this, but I'm only, I think I'm only willing to lock up one. Um, I'm, I'm worried I'm locking up the wrong one, but I'm, I'm locking up the under 
Um, so under 47 and a half. Um, and my, my thought process is this one. All right. Miami's starting Jaron Williams, redshirt freshman quarterback. He's thrown three passes in his career, all of them against Savannah state. Um, I think Miami made the right call at quarterback. I also think that if, you know, Jaron Williams beating out Nikosi Perry and Tate Martell does not mean that Jaron Williams is going to come out guns a blazing uh, as the next great Miami quarterback. He might be the next great Miami quarterback. My contention and my expectation is that it is going to take some time to grow into that role. Um, and so I don't, I don't think this is the Jaron w- Williams um, grand reveal here. I think this is the first step in, um, in his, in his career and what's going to be a, probably a, a career where he starts a lot of games and wins a lot of games, but I don't, I don't think it's going to necessarily look pretty day one. Um, it doesn't help that he's got a true freshman left tackle in Zion Nelson, who was 240 pounds this time last year. Uh, he's got a red shirt freshman right tackle who is good bit bigger, but not necessarily uh, a polished product from a pass blocking standpoint. So true freshman or a redshirt freshman quarterback, two freshman offensive tackles going against the Todd Grantham defense that can be a little tricky to navigate. Uh, it can be a little tricky to, uh, in terms of the, the looks, the, the different ways that they're going to attack you. They're going to blitz you a lot. Um, and they're going to be really aggressive. And so I think that those are some some things that are that that could. So I think for that reason, like I think Miami might be a little bit conservative. I also just sort of expect Florida to be relatively conservative. Remember, that's a, a rebuild offensive line too. That's the big question mark for this Florida team is offensive line. And I don't think they're going to be great week one. And I think Miami's defense is going to be pretty good. So. I think I, I I think that there's a very I think Dan Mullen is going to play it a little bit tight to the vest. Know that he's got sort of the more experienced quarterback. Know that he's got a quarterback that you can grind out some yardage with in the run game as well. And I, I could see this being a very low scoring, very defensive oriented game that's a little bit more of a survival fest than than a shootout. Um, and uh, and I think the the one thing that worries me honestly in this under is I could see some defensive scores. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's that's a uh, that's going to keep me up in, on Friday night. I think a little bit is those defense potential defensive scores. But that said, I think the under forty seven and a half is the play here. I feel most comfortable with. And I don't know whether I'd lock this up in a typical week, frankly. But with limited options, I'm not going to go uh, uh, lockless. Got to get, get in the game. Yeah, got to get in the game. Week one, week uh, zero. Um, lock agreement. Absolutely. Uh, lock unity. Whoa. Yes. 
Right off the yes! bat. Welcome oh, to the early in the year. Woo! This uh, is like this is like a movie where the three main characters begin as friends and then life just tears them apart as the movie goes <laughs> on. <laughs> no doubt. Um uh yeah, the your your fears are the the one thing that is is absolute cuz this thing like Tom, I think that you got this at 50, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's like you got on the north side of 49. That's good. This thing's dropping. It might continue to drop. And the the fear is I was saying uh, I was thinking not only the defensive touchdowns, but you've got just dudes all over the place like special teams. We could have a special teams touchdown. I could get KJ Osborne's a really good punt returner like that. That could be a place where uh, you catch a, a touchdown that could really turn this into a sweaty situation. Uh, also, you know, crampy, it's hot, it's humid. One cornerback goes down with a little cramp, that becomes a touchdown. But as a matter of doggone principle, like this is going to be a game that neither, this this game, win or lose, doesn't do a whole lot in my mind for Florida or Miami. I'm sure they're both uh, excited to be a part of it, but like they would have much rather opened up in a regular week one. I think if the coaches had their way, they would have rather opened up in a regular week one and not had to go through the whole hoopla of moving up the schedule and kind of getting everyone out of their rhythm. I think being out of their rhythm leads to things being both conservative and clunky. And yeah, absolutely. I think my, my score for this game uh, is 23-13. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm still sitting on this uh, sitting on this under. How you feel, yeah, Tom? As, as Barton alluded, we will all three of us be living in fear of the defensive touchdown because these are two very aggressive defenses who like to put pressure on you. And as Barton mentioned, these are also two very young offensive lines. And if you look, you know, Phil Steele puts out his returning starts and offensive line chart in the preseason. So of 129 teams, because he doesn't have Liberty on it. Miami ranks 122nd with 30 career starts on its offensive line. Florida ranks 126th with 24. These are two very inexperienced offensive lines. And like you said, Chip, they're probably going to be conservative because this game was moved up a week. So you've got the freshman QB on one side behind a very young offensive line. You've got a veteran QB on the other side, but also behind a very inexperienced offensive line in a huge game to open the season before you know who really anybody is yet because you've just been practicing and scrimmaging and you can learn something from that, but you don't really learn who your players are until they're on the field lined up against across from somebody. So I think we're going to see a very conservative approach on both sides, and it's the under just seems like the smarter play. I liked Florida when it was still at minus seven, simply because I do think Florida is the better team than Miami, both going into the season, and I think that will show over the course of the season. But since the announcement of the quarterback announcement for Miami, that line has moved at half a point. So now Miami's getting seven and a half instead of just seven. And that hook is very scary on the spread. So while I still lean Florida's direction in that way, there's no way in the world I could lock it up with that hook there. Yeah, I, I am uh, also leaning Florida, uh, laying the points. <clears throat> I think when the, when, it, when the line initially came out, I was – inclined to think like oh two you know an in-state rivalry two talented teams Miami's going to keep it close um you know seems like the Miami should be the play here but the more I just sort of thought about it looked into it dug around like this just 
I just don't think Miami is ready to. You know, I, I think Florida is just a, a better team. I think they they're significantly further along, um, and I think that they like I, I was tempted to take the Florida uh, laying the points over the under. Uh, I just <clears throat> I could you know I could see a, a rock fight of a game that Miami just keeps it ugly. Um, but I think Florida is clearly the play to me if you're going to pick a side too. I foresee uh, like a lot of situations where, you know, Miami is unable to, uh, you know, win the field position battle. Florida gets a lot of scoring chances, but then Miami's Miami's defense is really, really good. Like I'm, I am in my underplay expecting that it's, it's going to be a lot of seeing Felipe Frank's get a first and goal, but then have that end up being a field goal situation or have it be, you know, get inside the 40 with a scoring opportunity, but then it's a false start on the offensive line. You know, the, basically the, the sweatiest possible combination. I'm, I am wondering though, because we're all on Florida. If Miami wins this game, if Miami like wins, what, what is the mindset of a Florida Gator with an extra week to think about that? Dark, dark places. Right? They're, they're, I mean, this fan base is like furious if you say they're going to go eight and four. Like, there, there's a, there are very high expectations amongst the Florida fans for this season. And I, I don't, I mean, yeah, there, there's, it's certainly, um, within like the realm of realistic possibilities that Florida goes 10 and two or nine and three, or even I, you know, don't, I don't know. No, I don't say you don't, you don't go 11 no. and one drawing Auburn and LSU from the other division and having Georgia on the schedule. And Georgia. I mean, yeah, it doesn't seem that doesn't like, but it seems like that's like, it seems like Florida fans think that's more likely than eight and four, which strikes me as, as not, not a realistic mentality. What I can't um, believe is there's a fan base with unrealistic expectations before the season. <laughs> Stunned. Yeah, I, I, yeah th- this is going to be um, – I, th- I think this is – you know, if Miami somehow wins this game, that's going to be an interesting uh, interesting temperature to gauge in Gainesville. Because – oh, go ahead, Tom. I was going to say, if Miami wins this game, prepare for two weeks of there's a real threat to Clemson in the ACC. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Because <laughs> the overreaction will go both ways. Yeah. And my, you know, like, no one, no team can elicit more overreaction than the U just because everybody <laughs> wants them to be so back. Is this uh, the best Miami team since 2003? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's that, so the, because Miami loses and there's probably, I think there's probably some specific over or under reactions that might be tied maybe to the quarterback position or, you know, Florida might like the way that, you know, one player sort of broke out that, that as, as we are all sort of hinting at the same feeling as, uh, and as you mentioned, Tom, with the line movement where they had to move it up to the hook, like that does, I, I don't have the numbers pulled up, but I would assume that we're dealing with a decent percentage of the action so far being on the gators yeah okay is it uh well 
I almost would have. I, I almost would expect more, especially with it being seven and a half. I would expect more to be on on Miami. I got it's, it at it's fifty-five. I got it fifty-five percent of the bet, sixty-four percent of the money on the yeah. Gators. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's evened out a bit considering where it was. I would say probably like a week, week and a half ago, but it's still the majority of the money is firmly on Florida's side of the line. The nightcap will be on your favorite CBS Sports Network. It's going to be out on the Big Island, Arizona at Hawaii. Kevin Sumlin, Khalil Tate, Cole McDonald, and and DeBose. Uh, It is an 11-point spread in favor of the Wildcats over-under set at either 74, 73 and a half. Uh, Tom, are you going to have any locks here? And uh, and regardless, what's uh, what's your feeling on the game? You knew to go to Tom first on the old Hawaii feature game. <laughs> I I do have a lock actually. Oh wow. Um, there you go. It's I I was considering locking up the under seventy four based on principle, but I'm I'm not nearly as confident in that as I am right now in Hawaii plus eleven. That's my lock. Uh, I just look, I think this Hawaii team is something of a dark horse in the Mountain West this year, where, you know, you look at Fresno State's replacing a lot of key players. Um, like, just, and this is a Hawaii team that, if you look, returning starter wise, they've got 18 returning starters, nine on offense, nine on defense. That includes their quarterback, Cole McDonald. And this was a team that took, you know, a step forward last year after going. I can't remember what it was. They went three and nine in 2017, bumped up to eight and six last year. And a lot of that was, you know, beating up on teams. It was better than, but Hey, that's, that's how you win. You have to beat up on the teams. You're better than they did struggle against the tougher teams in the mountain West. But again, a lot of those teams like Fresno have lost a ton of players. So when I look at this Hawaii team, it's an offense that gave some a lot of defenses problems. Arizona's defense last year wasn't exactly stalwart. There's a lot of experience. You've got an experienced QB in Cole McDonald. You're at home. Arizona's got to fly three thousand miles out to Honolulu to play the game, and it's you know before school starts. So in a way, you know it'd be I don't I I know they're uh, approaching it like a business trip because that's what all football teams do when they go on the road. But if, <laughs> if you're an Arizona player, school starts in a couple weeks, right? Yeah. This is like this is like the end of your summer break in a way. So you're going to Hawaii. <laughs> And right before school starts. So maybe you're kind of distracted. And I think Arizona's going to win the game. But I just look at it where they've, like we talked about with Florida and Miami, it's not as drastic. But Arizona's got some new people on that offensive line they've got to work into. Khalil Tate definitely improved in that offense as the year went on. But I don't know if he's just going to suddenly be amazing again this year. And I just look at this and I see a shootout. I mean, the, the total is 74 for a reason. I don't think there are going to be a lot of three and outs or punts in this game. I think we're going to see a lot of up and down the field action and touchdowns. And I think that Hawaii is going to be able to stick within 11 points of the Wildcats. Mm. Yeah, I, I, am not, I am not locking this up. Um, I am just on principle. I'm not going to play Hawaii in week zero. Uh, but... I also like Hawaii plus the 11. That's that's the side I've when I've been asked it on sports line or whatever, I I'm saying, you know, take the points, but uh you know, I think the experience Hawaii returns, the you know, I think Nick Rolovich is a really good coach 
And I think there's a lot of unknown on the Arizona State side. I do think that Khalil Tate, there is a scenario this season where Khalil Tate is is back to the 2017 version. A I little, hope so, because that'll you know? be fun to watch. Yeah. I just, I mean, he was injured last year and like that. Now, granted, he wasn't, it wasn't pretty before he was injured. But once he got injured, that sort of took the, the old school Khalil Tate off the table. So I wonder if they kind of learned from their learned a lesson from last year and are going to play to his strengths a little bit more. And and who knows what that will entail? JJ Taylor's still a really good running back. So there's there's weapons there, uh, but I'm I'm inclined to 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 take Hawaii in the points at home as well, um, just because I think Hawaii is they're playing three Pac-12 teams start the season like they they're going to be dialed in to try to try to pull an upset on one of them so uh i think this is a a good opportunity for them to try to get a uh a a cover at the very least when you're what it's worth hawaii eight and two against the spread in its last 10 games against the pac-12 that's a strong number there hey tom what's that against the spread number uh, at home at home, we don't need to go over that, Chip. <laughs> no, uh, this is this is awful. In Hawaii's last twenty-nine home games, so pretty much nearly four seasons worth, they're six twenty-two and one against the spread. So, wow. but, but, some Hawaii's, bad teams. There was the some, last few years have been pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. It, there's there's some, running that run and shoot again, Chip. Yeah, things are about to change. <laughs> things are different. I feel you. No, if the, uh, I the. I've been thinking about this game way too much because I woke up this morning thinking about this game and I was wondering if there's a really good Hawaii cover opportunity just based on the Kevin Sumlin wanting to keep it bland. Um, You know, just, just thinking that this is truly like a week zero. This is a, this is the, the scrimmage that you're going to run against the high school from, uh, across the team or like uh, was it like those high school football showcases where you might be just going out there be a whole bunch of teams uh, real busy sort of atmosphere I, I could see it being almost an NFL preseason type playbook for the Wildcats and maybe that does mean that uh, we don't have as many just sort of like the explosive plays that are set up by the play calling he's just more of you know throwing throwing them out there letting them see how it goes and so that would be a, a reason to back Hawaii the other side being that, you know, maybe this is uh, a confidence building game for Khalil Tate. And as you mentioned, like he had not just not just like a few injuries, but he's a dual threat quarterback who was dealing with toe, ankle and shoulder injuries. Like those are all directly impactful to his ability to be a good dual threat quarterback. And uh, as people are excited that he might be able to be back, as you mentioned, of sorts, maybe this turns into a Khalil Tate highlight reel. But Khalil Tate and Cole McDonald, uh, I'm I look, if you really want to get frisky, let's see, what's the line doing? It, it I would is. never do it, but if you want to take the over, I wouldn't I wouldn't yell at you for it. It goes against my principles, but I could see this game being uh, kind of bananas. Just to recap, Baker Mayfield wakes up feeling dangerous. Chip Patterson wakes up thinking about Hawaii (laughs) football. That's right. (laughs) Coming up on the other side, we will be breaking down some last-minute preseason props. 
All that next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, uh, Barton, do you have any uh, preseason props that you want to lock up? No, I feel, a little, I feel like I sort of showed up at class uh, and, and didn't get the homework assignment. I, I, did, I did not dig into props. I'm not a big prop guy anyways, but, uh, but no, I got nothing. I, I'm just going to have to listen to you guys. Well, I, I mean, we sh- we're still just sort of breaking it down because I'm not going to lock up uh, everything, but I do have a couple of potential value picks that if you want to be sitting on a lottery ticket and, and holding on to it, uh, I, w- I, would, I'm, I may or may not be there with you. But uh, but Tom, what you, what you got? You've got something that you want to put on the locks board, right? No. Oh, no, no, you, no, just no. more value picks. You know why? I, I'll tell you why I don't want to put it on the locks board because I feel like if any of them hit, then I win the locks contest, and I don't want that to be the case where it's like, you know, we pick games all season and then I hit like a twenty to one preseason bet and it just jumps me to first place. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Um, well, what you got, Tom? You go first. I'll start with one I kind of alluded to a minute ago in my last pick. I'm taking Hawaii at six to one to win the Mountain West West Division, because a lot, like I said, Fresno State is. You know, I, I big, I'm a big time believer in Jeff Tedford. I still think that they're the favorite in that division, but they lose a lot of people from that team last year. That you know, the the important people, not just you know, your average. I've we lost seven starters. They lost like you know seven or eight key starters on that offense. So. I, I think Hawaii at six to one is pretty good value to win that division because it's it's somewhat open after you look at that. And then, you know, of course, Utah State lost, you know, Matt Wells to Texas Tech. There's a lot of turnover there as well. So I kind of like with Hawaii having so much experience coming back. I, I think that there's something of a dark horse in that division. At six to one, I like the price. Heck yes. So the the Mountain West, I I will admit, has been a little bit of a blind spot for me. How is is it your confidence in Hawaii, or is it as you're continuing to survey that that whole conference, you feel you feel pretty good about where everyone's at, or at least you've got your hunches? I mean, it's it's a combination of things. It's like you know, first of all, when it comes to volatility in divisions or in conferences, technically the group of five is where you're going to find more of a swing from year to year. In the Power Five conferences, things are pretty much set for a while, but if you look, you know, it's like I said, Fresno State lost a ton. Nevada had a good season, but it loses a couple key guys as well. And it's not exa- it wasn't, you know, a juggernaut. San Diego State, I think, is maybe primed for a bounce back season, but I, I, I can't assume it. San Jose State was bad. UNLV doesn't really seem to be anything. So when you look at it, I feel like it's kind of a two team race at this point for the division title. So if I'm getting six to one on Hawaii, why not take it? So. But I'm also only taking them to win the division because you look in that other division and you got Boise, Boise State, State, right? And it's like <laughs> I don't know if they're going to win the conference, but I think they could get to the conference. They can get to the Mountain West title game. Barton, got any thoughts? Uh, no, I don't have any thoughts on that. I I'm going with the conference champion, and I I, I alluded to it a little bit during win total picks. 
and uh, and and I think it's just time to go ahead and drop it because there's there's some some pretty impressive value uh, on taking the the Houston Cougars uh, to win the American Athletic Conference. The favorites in that league, uh, according to the odds makers, are of course you know UCF followed by Memphis. And then all of a sudden, right down there at plus 620, uh, as I'm looking at it right now, that is where you'll find Dana Holgerson, Derek King, and the Houston Cougars. Now, there's two things that I like about this. Number one, I've already you know mentioned that I'm really excited about Dana and Derek, and I think that that is going to create all kinds of offense that, you know, defense might be a little bit optional, but such is life in the American Athletic Conference. But uh, I think that the path there, while the East has been um, you know the the bottom of the east with Yukon and where ECU's been like that's definitely been where you pick up some of your easy wins but I think the the battle at the top is a little bit more cluttered in the AAC East I think in the West depending on how you feel about Mike Norvell and Memphis I think that the door is open for Houston to be able to get there and if Houston can get to the AAC title game uh, then I think that they've got a good chance to win it so I I, I think they're maybe like third, I think fourth or fifth on the odds boards. You know, you're going to be getting that that pretty, that nice plus 620 payout. And so uh, I'm going to go with the Cougs to win the AAC. Did you see Dana Holgerson throwing shade on the uh, the the previous regime uh, preseason? Yes. I did not, well, but I'm like here for it. looks like they're going to have to work this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was like, uh, "Yeah, you know, practice is going okay. I mean, we're uh, we're working hard. I mean, they, these guys, I don't think they're used to working hard. I don't think they really, you know, they got they got to fight through it. They're, they're not used to practicing hard and being coached hard. And uh, so we got to we got to get them get them on the on board with that or something, you know, something to that effect. So pretty much uh, said that the last couple of regimes have been babying them, but not coming out and saying it. <laughs> I'm I mean, like there was a. Uh... What, what were like the stones that Tom Herman put in? Like, remember, it was like a walkway or a pathway that he was putting in to try to like take you from the locker room to the practice field. The infinity stones? That, that's that's, Motiv- that's it was, Avengers, Chip. It was maybe like motivational messages on each walkway or something. I mean, it wasn't the P chart. The P chart was definitely at Texas, but I could see, uh, I, I, I could see Dana, especially after, you know, there's nothing about last year's Houston team that inspires uh, that that I think everything was was going well. Like uh, the Ed Oliver Major Applewhite back and forth to me was was probably much more of an indication of where Major Applewhite was with that entire locker room rather than an Ed Oliver thing. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that, just based on some like the Ed Oliver stuff on the sideline, you, you get the feeling that the players had some power <laughs> in that program. <laughs> Hey, um, now 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 it's the Dana era. Let's go. As for your pick, I, I don't hate it at all. I mean, I think if they you know if they get to the if they win their division and get to the title game, then yeah, it's you know it's almost a coin flip. But my concern is that, like we just said, Ed Oliver's gone, and he's not the only member of that defense that's gone. Like pretty much everybody on that defense that did something last year is gone. And so it's like, yes, it's the AAC, and you're kind of just trying to outscore people for the most part. But when it comes up to playing against UCF, you're going to need to make a stop. And I don't know if Houston's going to be able to make the stops. And plus, like UCF has plenty to replace itself. 
But as far as recruiting is concerned, the Knights have been recruiting on a level unto themselves in that conference when compared to everybody else. It's Houston's recruited fine. It's just UCF is, you know, recruiting very, very well, like elite for a group of five school, whereas Houston is just, hey, they, they're, they've recruited well. So I, I don't know if Houston really has the bullets to just replace a lot of those guys and really, you know, keep pace with UCF. Mm. Uh Who's uh, Houston plays who? Like Oklahoma week one? Yeah. Um, In yeah, Norman on gonna, Sunday night. There's going to be a few points scored there. Uh, there's going to be a lot of overs on that Houston schedule this year. So I guess we're going to see how hard, you know, how, you know, see what Dana Holgerson can do in terms of uh, producing points because I think he's going to have to. Um, but uh, they'll, they'll be a fun team to follow. Uh, Tom, what else you got? Uh, my next one is kind of a, you know, everybody thinks that Alabama or Clemson or, you know, they're going to win the national title. But what if it's not Alabama or Clemson? You taking the field? No. No, I'm taking a specific team. Which program in your mind is the most likely team to not only get past Alabama or Clemson, but to win the title? And I think... That team is Georgia. Mm. I agree. And at seven to one, I like that price because I don't think there's that large of a gap between Georgia and Alabama, at least on the roster and in talent. We've seen them play games. They've been close games. It's not like Alabama lords over them. And Georgia lost to Alabama last year, not because of its players, but because of some questionable decisions on the sidelines. And I think if that gets evened out, you know, this is a Georgia team that could beat Alabama in Atlanta, could get to the playoff, and if it had to face Clemson or Alabama again, it could beat them in in that title game. So at seven to one, I mean, I'm not expecting it, but for those odds, it's only got to happen. You know what? Thirteen percent of the time. I don't think that that's crazy. Like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, and you know, I think. There's like the the SEC to me is interesting because there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways it can happen. Like the SEC is the one conference where like Georgia could go in there. I think we all agree Georgia's going to win the East. I'd be shocked if they didn't win the East. Agreed. So well, now Florida's going twelve and zero now. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, so like Georgia's Georgia has. Is, is so well positioned to be in that championship game that it, once they're there and what is it like they, they've either led or t- been tied for 280 of two, the 289 snaps mm-hmm. against Alabama the last two games. Um, so once they're, th- once they're there, all they got to do is win and in. And once they're in, particularly with a win behind uh, under the belt against Alabama, they uh, are clearly uh, if not just the best team in the country, they're clearly good enough to do it. And even if they lose to Alabama, the SEC has shown, and I think this this year in particular, it has shown that it is capable of putting two teams in because everyone's going to think the two best teams are in the SEC. Um, or there's also a scenario where maybe LSU beats Alabama. And LSU gets in the in the SEC championship game, and Georgia could then beat them. I just think like there's 
for Georgia specifically, given how good we think Georgia is, there is a lot of different ways this can work out. Um, and and I, I actually think there's a lot of different ways it can work out to just generally speaking to where there can be two SEC teams in the college football playoffs. Um, and again, once you're in there, hey, you got a great shot. So I, I like that pick. There's uh so Ohio State to win it all is at eight to one, Georgia at seven to one. They I would say Barton like what not equal talent, but both in that top talent tier. Do you think that there's uh do you think that there's significantly more value in Georgia over in Ohio State? I do. I and I've got so my playoff my playoff prediction is is Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and Ohio State. But I think that there's – I feel much – it's crazy because I'm calling for two teams in the SEC, but somehow I feel more confident in that Georgia pick than I do in the Ohio State pick. Uh, I think Ohio State, there's just – I mean, you, got, you do have to get by Michigan, um, and you do have to there's, – there's still a lot of unknown at the quarterback position. Uh, and so – I think there's somehow I'm not even really worried about Jake Fromm getting hurt. He's just I think he is savvy enough to stay healthy, um, and I, I just think that Georgia is a uh, he's it's a safer stock, less volatile. Uh, it's a blue chip stock. Blue chip stock. All right, Tom. P five hundred company. You got it. What else you got? Uh, my last one is a long shot Heisman play. Uh, I'm taking Shea Patterson twenty eight to one to win the Heisman because mm. the, the, my logic behind it is this. Let's say Michigan does win the Big Ten this year. It finally gets past Ohio State. It gets past everybody. It wins the Big Ten. Shea Patterson will be a Michigan quarterback in an offense now that if clearly if they've won the Big Ten, the Josh Gaddis experiment's working out pretty well for the Wolverines at this point. So you know he's going to have numbers in that offense. Michigan would be a Big Ten champ. Odds are it'd be in the playoff. So maybe, you know, with Trevor and Tua, I think are the clear favorites. And then there's Jalen Hurts. Outside of that, though, 28 to 1 for Patterson, if Michigan has that kind of season, I think those are very good. I mean, it's again, it's a long shot for a reason, but at the odds, I like it quite a bit. The fact that they, so uh, he's getting about the same Heisman odds as like Jonathan Taylor and Sam Ellinger. And I would yeah. agree that he's probably got a better chance at winning than those two. I would. I mean, you do what you want, but you could just burn your money instead of betting on a running back to win the Heisman. Are we done? Like, is it? Is there no, no more running backs are probably winning the Heisman Trophy? I think that just the way that, you know, the sport's going with, you know, it's it's like, you know, it's like the NFL. We're seeing more and more passing and it's just the quarterbacks become more and more important. So it's like, if you're a running back, Jonathan Taylor, not only has to have an amazing season where he's got to get 2000 yards rushing at a minimum, but he also, the running back or any running back has to do it on a team that's in the playoff, a team that's competing for a national title. And when you look at the teams that are competing for the national title, are we talking about Alabama's running backs or Tua? Are we talking about Clemson's running backs or Trevor? Are we talking about Oklahoma's running backs or Jalen? So 
the quarterback is the dude that gets all the attention and all the hype, and he's the one that even NFL teams are hyping up for, like, NFL draft guys and those kind of people that are just, you know, building it up. You don't hear about running backs anymore. I mean, Justin Herbert is a better odd to win the Heisman because he could be the number one pick in the draft, whereas Jonathan Taylor might be the best running back in Wisconsin history, and we've had Wisconsin running backs win the Heisman. We've had Wisconsin running backs have incredible seasons. Taylor might be the best one of all, and nobody's really brought him up as even a possibility. The odds are there for it, but he's about the same spot as DeAndre Swift, or and he's got about the same odds as Travis Etienne. So it's just – it's. I'm not saying it's never going to happen, but I think that it's very much going to be the exception to the rule. Like, it's going to have to be a very special running back. I think wide receivers now, even though they have never won a Heisman, are probably more likely to win a Heisman before the running back does. So when was the last time a playoff team had a running back that was, like, truly, like, the focal point of their offense and not sort of a complimentary piece? I know Georgia's... Had two. One game right. has been a focal point, but they've almost been sort of complimentary of each other. Um, like, is it Ohio State in 2014? Ezekiel Elliott, maybe? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. And I mean, that was, and even that team, you know, who got who got the most attention for that run? Wasn't Zeke, although he was great in those games. The dude who got the attention was Cardale Jones because he was, the you know, the story, the third string running back stepping in, taking over. But it's just, yeah, it's... Running backs, it's, it's it's mirroring what we've seen in the NFL where running backs are kind of just becoming a more fungible commodity that people tend to overlook. Out at the Westgate, yeah. you can get odds to make the playoffs. You don't even need to win the national championship just to make the playoffs. There's a team that when odds opened, was at 20 to 1. And as the odds have been re-racked in the last uh, two weeks, it's now at 50 to 1. Boys, now it's time to sink your teeth in because the USC Trojans are 50 to 1 to make the college football playoff. <laughs> I would take that. Hell yeah. USC. USC. USC yeah. coming from the Pac 12 has significantly, has the same odds as Miami to make the college football playoff. I, I you know, I I just I've had enough, Chip. I've had enough. I'm you're you're sinking. You are sinking so far <laughs> into this USC hole. I feel like I gotta pull you out of like this addiction. Like I feel like I gotta grab you and throw cold water on you. USC there. has the same make the playoff odds as Baylor. Baylor's more likely to make it. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm telling you, Baylor is more likely to make the playoffs than USC. Fight! 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 You cannot make the playoffs with with a with like without a tough team, and I don't believe USC has is a tough team, and I don't believe that they have the like. It's just it's clear to like they're talented. I get they are so talented, but it is clear to me that this team under Kelly Helton has not built the necessary atmosphere in that program to play and win at that level. I think Matt Rule kind of is. Ooh. So I I just – I know – I see it's tempting. I know it's just back away from the table. Back what? away from 
table. But let me let me present the mathematical side of this argument. At fifty to one, this USC team only has to make the playoff one point nine six percent of the time to justify Chip's bet. Do you think that they could do it two times in a hundred seasons? I I and absolutely I'm I'm predicting it. I am I it's USC. I mean I I I understand everything you're saying, Bart, because I don't think it's going to happen. But at fifty to one, I mean, come on, it's it's what are, just what else? Who else can I get at fifty to one? Okay, I this is the fifty to one group. At fifty to one, you can get Wisconsin. At fifty to one, you can get the Miami Hurricanes. At fifty to one, you can get uh, Oklahoma State. Uh, I mean, Michigan State is twenty five to one. Stanford's fifty to one. <laughs> TCU's fifty to one. Baylor's fifty to one. Syracuse is fifty to one. I would take, I would take several of those programs over USC. I take Wisconsin. I take TCU. I take. Um, I don't know. I I look. May, maybe this is lover scorned here. Maybe I got I me mean, last year was a was a. I picked them in the playoffs last year, and they went five and seven. They went five and seven, but uh, this, I, those, I think that those other teams you mentioned to me, I'm, I would be more inclined to take. I, I understand that y'all. I don't know. That, I don't know that I'd take Baylor. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm not there on Baylor yet. But I take. I take. I would take Wisconsin over USC. Yeah, you know, when when it comes to USC, I feel like we're we're not wrong. But I feel like in the media as a whole, there is a definite eagerness to bury it or just write it off. Because, and I, I take this for my what really confirmed this to me was the AP poll that came out this week. One point. One point. There are 62 voters in the AP poll. USC finished with one point, which means that for those of you who aren't familiar with how the voting works, there was one person who put USC in their preseason top 25 and they put them at 25. So it was just a, eh, okay, I'll put you here. Arizona had a point. Arizona state had three points. West Virginia had three points. Appalachian state, which lost its coach to Louisville and lost a lot of key players had five points. So it's, I think we're oh Hell Minnesota had seven. USC could only show up on one ballot at 25. I feel like everybody's a little too down on USC, which I think is why I, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's why I'm very much in Chip's corner where I think, man, we are we this is still USC. It's still talent. And at the end of the day, talent's gonna win a lot of football games in this I, sport. I mean, I'm gonna tell you what, like the math doesn't work with their talent. Like they they have Talano Hufunga at safety is a first round talent. Drake Jackson, true freshman defensive end, first round talent. Christian Rector, the other defensive end, it will get drafted. Uh, the the Marlon Tui Pelotu, Jay Tufele, defensive tackles are NFL talents. Like without question, they are. Um, their receiving core is is like one of the best in the country. JT Daniels is a like is a absolutely no doubt talent at quarterback and and then they got Graham Harrell at OC like I get I get it I get it I get it I just it's I I just can't trust them anymore but man it's it is weird it is weird to see how much talent they have and if they don't get it together this year then um then then 
it'll be fun to see Urban Meyer get it together next year. You know? <laughs> <laughs> then they go twelve and zero and reach the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer looking at that early slate. Like if if this is all legit, if Urban Meyer really is like kind of sniffing around at this thing, and he's you know, I can't even imagine how how the 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 itchy trigger finger he's got right now, looking at that early slate of games for USC, looking at the idea they may go like two and four to start the season, and looking at the roster he could potentially inherit if he actually takes his job. I mean, that thing is ready-made to win right now uh, if they get a good coach and a good strength and conditioning program. So, hey, maybe Graham Harrell is the answer. That was the missing piece, and off they go. But there, there's no there's no question the talent is is all the way there. Here, here's some. Well, we're, you know, we're doing the locks pod. It doesn't. It's not USC in particular, but there were Vegas released odds. It was from Bet DSI that Meyer would be coaching by September 2020, and the yes is minus 300. No is plus 240. Wow. Was it coaching so I, USC or just coaching? Just coaching anywhere. But I think that USC makes the most sense is the most likely candidate to get him because it's. I don't think Urban Meyer is going to go back to his sideline to coach like, you know, uh, a not yeah. blue blood program. I agree. So Barton and USC broke up and I had to, you know, give it a little bit of time. You know, I had to come <laughs> ask permission about, hey, man, you mind if USC and I start hanging out just a little bit? You can be cool with that. Yeah. And it's, it's making me super emotional. And like, I don't like seeing you guys together. And I'm and I'm really not very supportive of the relationship. <laughs> We, we we were out at beers and you were like, "Hey man, just beware." Yeah, like, like USC man, will USC, burn you. Like, yeah, right, right. <laughs> you're my friend, you, man. I'm doing this for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we will see how it goes. Uh, any any other shots that we want to take here before we get out of here? No. All good. I'm all good. I'm ready to rock. All right. Let's kick it off. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernella. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, we will be back with you next week. Full slate. I think we're going to come in with a an early edition of Week 1 Locks just to get you set for the Thursday games Because since we got such a loaded slate. Um, maybe Thursday and Friday too, depending on how the time works out. Then, of course, our regular uh, Week 1 Locks Part 2 will be recorded on Thursday morning and you can get it dropped right to your podcast device uh, by about 11 a.m. noonish on the East Coast. So make sure that you subscribe so you don't even have to worry about checking. It just gets delivered to you all for free 99. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.